Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Well, <clears throat> I want to preach a Christmas message this morning, and, and because so much has already happened, I'm going to keep it shorter this morning. And the title of the message is A Beautiful Response. And the reason I've picked that title is because I think about stuff like what we saw in that video clip, and about the fact that that kind of experience of the, the disappointment, feelings of upset, loss, even betrayal. I mean, he did warn the guy about the cord, didn't he? And some people have said that that was actually a faked staged video. Either way, it serves my purpose, which is life gets like that a lot of the time. There are these things we care about, which we pour ourselves into, we have hope and longing for, and then just like that, somebody else insensitively, carelessly, sometimes even wickedly, shatters this thing we care about. And just like that, everything we're resting our hearts on is gone and some of us are sitting here this morning very much in that place, thinking that life does look like that so much of the time. And so I want to look at this passage and draw for us why what we celebrate on Christmas is so meaningful, why it's such a beautiful response. Have a look at this passage. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about them, about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured, these all, treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. You know, I don't know if you were the guy who constructed that Jenga tower with 12,000 blocks. I have always been fascinated at people who have the patience and commitment to have such painstaking, laborious hobbies like that. You know, one of the things that most fascinates me are domino stackers. Have you seen these guys? My sphincter clenches every time I watch these, just thinking about how many hours I spent just stacking those things up, it makes me crazy thinking about it. I don't think I have the patience for that kind of hobby. And recently I saw a video where 
about 90 people spent two months erecting an incredible, elaborate array of over 4 million dominoes. They set a world record that is not likely to be broken anytime soon. And all I could think about in that moment when all the safety stops had been pulled out and this entire gym floor was covered with dominoes is, what if some oaf had stumbled into the gym at just that moment and wasn't paying attention to the warning signs, just knocked something over, and prematurely, the whole thing just went to pieces? I mean, what would you feel like if something you had poured yourself into was just like that in an instant brought to ruin by the carelessness and thoughtlessness of somebody who should have known better. I think we forget very easily that when God made us and when he made this creation that we live in, it wasn't like he just whipped it out, but it was a labor of love. You know, I'll be honest with you. There are two kinds of sermons any preacher preaches if he preaches at a church long enough. There is the Saturday night special where he's just thrilled that something got put on paper. Not married to it, hasn't worked itself into his life. He's just, thank God, I'm not going to look up, stand up there looking like an idiot the next day. You know, and so we're glad about those. But now and then, there's a message that is birthed like by direct download from heaven. The Holy Spirit just burns a fire in you. And that message not only comes out of the pastor's mouth, but has been working through his bones, in his heart, his soul, his flesh for weeks. And when he stands up to preach that message, there's a difference there. And I think that the the way God made the world, it didn't require six days for an infinite, all-powerful God to create this universe. The truth is that if he is all-powerful, he could have went, universe, bam done. He could have done that, and in no way would it have detracted, I guess, from from his glory, but here's what he did. He took six days and made each different part individually as if to communicate to us, I did not whip this all together, but I care deeply about it. I put myself into it. If you picture God making the world, I picture him with his tongue sticking out really working it. You know what I'm saying? Like, he cares about this. He wants the spots on the leopard to be just so. He wants the rainbows and mountains to look a certain way. He was doing this really as something he cared deeply about. And so I want you to imagine what God might have felt when almost before the paint was dried on this creation, two people who had everything on earth, quite literally, broke the one rule he gave them, and just like that, this labor of love was brought to instant ruin. I don't know if that even rings true to you, but some of you know, you ought to know at least exactly what I'm talking about, because you whine to me all day long about how your life is falling apart. I hear it. In fact, the reason I have to have long devotional times is because I hear the pain of others all day long. And I know you understand what God felt like the day that Adam and Eve sinned because you have also felt that same pain when your own life fell apart. On the worst day of your life, you and I will never know the full weight of loss and pain and sorrow which God endured 
the day that Adam and Eve fell. And it wasn't just that he was mad somebody had spilled ink on his favorite drawing or anything like that. I think, I think God would have been very justified that day to be filled with rage, a wrath, a righteous anger. And in fact, I think God did feel that. That's another part of it we have to acknowledge, is that when Adam and Eve sinned and everything he lovingly crafted was dashed to pieces, his labor of love broken just like that, I think God, like any person, felt wrath. In fact, after the sin of Adam and Eve, the first mother and father, the rest of their children went on to inherit and multiply their sin so that at the end of several generations, the world was a cesspool of rebellion. In Genesis 6, 5 through 6, uh, by the way, those are, do you recognize those two pictures? The creation of the world and its instant ruination, death, and corruption upon the sin of Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 6, 5 through 6, here's what it says. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. I don't know if you can sense the the strong feelings being communicated there. But it's important for us to remember that when God looked at the ruination of his world and at the distance that had been created between him and the children he loved, there was a deep, deep troubling in the heart of God. Now, part of that troubled heart was anger, and that's important to acknowledge. Part of it was wrath, and as a result, God needed his children to know he does not feel casual about sin. Sin is not a popular word in our culture today because it feels very judgy. It's not like one person judging another. It's God saying, I have created you for a certain kind of path. And sin is a departure from it that grieves both you and me. It adds to the brokenness and the pain in this world. Every bit of pain you have is a result of somebody's sin. Do you understand that? If nobody sinned, there would not be pain on this earth. But every last bit of heartache, pain, shame, brokenness, offense you have ever felt in your life, was a result of someone's sin. Sin is not a small matter. It's not a laughing matter, a casual matter. It's not the substance of people's judgmental attitudes. It is a real and substantive thing in this world. And what God felt in seeing so much of it is, I cannot bear to look at my creation and see what has become of it. And his righteous anger poured out upon the earth in the form of a great flood. Stay tuned. Good news is coming. You're like, what kind of Christmas message is this? Trust me a little bit. Be patient. But listen, you got to get through this part to understand why we make such a big deal out of Christmas. Because I think we try to cut the line and jump right to, um, tis the season to be, you know, and like some of us can't get there, can we? Because nothing feels jolly about this season for us. 
And I'm telling you that you cannot manufacture Christmas spirit out of thin air. You cannot get to the joy of Christmas without beholding the hard truth that this was the state of the world so shortly after God made it in perfection. That he loved us and he provided for us a perfect place to live and so quickly became everything he did not want it to be. A place of ugliness, of violence, of selfishness, of pain, of rebellion, betrayal and loss and death and sickness. All those things raged across the surface of this perfect world he had made. And in the flood, it was like a purge as he washed the surface of the earth, of the stench of all that evil. The wrath of God in response to brokenness is something we all understand, isn't it? I I think any of us who have experienced betrayal and loss, pain, offense, anybody who's lived through a really, really bad, broken relationship, one that you loved and hoped for, and when you've experienced that, in the midst of all the other swirling emotions, one of them that will rise very quickly to the front is rage. I know that to be true, too. Um, Not just through your lives, trust me, in my own heart, I have felt that rage surface many times. The indignation I feel that I deserve to be treated better than this. That I have done nothing but kind things for you. You should never have treated me this way. But I had plans for this. This is not at all the way I imagined our relationship would turn out. And in the midst of all that loss and betrayal, rage comes pouring out. And we understand that part of the trouble in God's heart very well. And in some ways, it's a necessary response to the offense of sin. But I think as soon as the flood was over, God sends a rainbow and he says to Noah, this rainbow, after every rain, is a sign of my covenant with you that I will never do this again. It's sort of the way I, as a parent, sometimes feel when my kids do something so baldly rebellious and evil, I just, you know, you know that kind of like, like you can't even speak, you can't get the syllables out, you're so grieved and offended at, at what they've done, and you're like, ah, you know that feeling, so you just, you don't even think about good parenting or being gracious, you just unleash, how dare you, I'm taking this away, I'm taking that away, I'll kick you, I'll hit you. And you just unload that wrath, and afterwards you think you're going to feel more relieved, but you feel dirty. You feel empty. You feel like, wow, it felt really good in that moment to just rage and pour out, but in the instant after you realize, deep down inside, I have fixed nothing. I have wiped away the offense from the surface, But in a way, I've done nothing about the problem inside. And in fact, I've only added to the pain and brokenness I was already responding to. My rage feels good for an instant, but absolutely, absolutely addresses none of what is hurting my heart. And so I think God immediately promised humanity, I will never purge the earth in this way again. Because while it rid the surface of the earth, the problem of sin remained in the human heart. And it created distance. And no sooner had the ark landed 
the Noah got smashed, hammered, drunk out of his gourd, and almost before the water was dried off the soil, the problem resurfaced, and it started all over again. That's why this familiar passage we just read out of Luke 2 about the first Christmas, that calm, peaceful evening where shepherds are out watching their flocks. And, you know, one of my professors in my doctoral program lived for over a year among Bedouin shepherds just to develop a concrete theology of shepherding. He wrote his dissertation on it. I read his book on it. It's a profound thing. He says there's nothing quite so peaceful like being out at night with the night watch shepherds. You hear the animals breathing. You hear the whistle of the wind. You see just how many stars pop out at night. And he says, out there in the night, something tremendous happens. But imagine that first night, that calm is shattered by blinding lights coming down from the sky. And an angel, which I don't know why we draw angels like giant fat babies with wings and soft I think if we saw a real angel, we would lose our continents right away. That means we poop and pee ourselves. I mean, that everything would release because it would terrify us to see an emissary from God's presence radiant in his glory. And when they saw it, what Luke records is that they were terrified and rightly so. Can I just suggest to you that there's not a person in this room who, if God showed up right now in this place, could look confidently in his eye without fear? Not one of us. Least of all me. And I've been preaching for 20 years here, so I, I'm not sure how you're going to fare, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like, if God walked in here, I would be terrified too because so great is his purity and holiness. So far am I from who he is and who he called me to be. In that instant, I would be so aware of it. Just like kids magically remember all the stuff they were supposed to do when they hear the garage door open. Oh, crud! Shoot! Right? You know that feeling? It's like that. Like You know in that instant how far you've deviated from the mark. And I think terror is the best, most realistic, reasonable response to the presence of God. Especially knowing our sin in our own hearts. I don't even care about the rest of the world. You guys don't know me as well as you might think, but I know me pretty well. I'm horrible. I'm not a good person inside. I have dirt in here. I think wicked thoughts. I am lazy where I should be diligent, and I'm diligent where I should be lazy. When I read Romans 7, I want to high-five Pongo. You read my mind. Everything I don't want to do, I do. And everything I should do, I don't do. And that's the way I feel so much about myself. And yet, in the presence of these shepherds with their rightful, justified terror, what I read is that these angels go out of their way to speak peace. And I just want to say to you this Christmas, it should strike us what a surprising what a surprising thing that should be that when the son of god arrives on the earth that it should be with a spirit of peace and joy and goodwill he says this is good news that's happening today don't be scared because god is here and he brings good news 
Do you remember those few times when your parents said, clean up your room, and then you heard the garage door, and you were panicking because your room was still filthy, but instead of noticing the room, they're like, we have leftover chocolate cake. you got to taste this. And you're like, they didn't even notice the room. And great joy. I was expecting wrath. And instead, I got cake. That doesn't happen a lot. Just once in a while. Maybe when your parents had one glass too much of wine at dinner, and they brought you cake instead of wrath. That's really the surprise of Christmas. Is that when God arrives in human form on the earth, he does not bring vengeance and judgment and terror. He brings good news and he brings great joy and he brings peace on the earth. And he says this crazy thing. He brings it to the people on the earth on whom his favor rests. Why should that be true? Why should his favor rest on the very people who would soon nail his son to a cross? Who had marred his perfect creation with selfishness? Why should people like us have the privilege of God's favor resting on us? And perhaps most surprising of all, as he says, here's the sign of this good news, this great joy, is you're going to travel to Bethlehem and in this stable, you'll find a baby in a manger. And this photograph is truer to the truth, it's closer to the truth, because we picture a carpenter's um, construction, a manger that looks like a little, little crate with hay lovingly stacked in. But really the mangers of old were a, a shallow hole dug in the ground where the food for animals, along with hay and straw and lots of animal saliva, was just creating a slurry down there on the cold earth. And it was into this kind of place that the God of heaven rested on the first night of his life. And the fact that he did not come to earth looking like a WWF wrestler, but he came gurgling and helpless like every baby who was ever born who could not clean its own filth without a mother's love. And our God, justified in his wrath, brokenhearted over everything that we had done to his creation and to our relationship, came to earth in the most quiet, humble, peaceful manner you can imagine. What's more peaceful than a baby lying wrapped in cloths? See, I think God should have sent his son as an angel of death. And we should have rightly quaked in fear in that moment, knowing that whatever is coming is justified. But when I see the way that God chose to work out the redemption of the world, I don't just see something about his purpose or plan. I see something really important about the heart of our God that mixed in with the outrage and the anger was a profound sadness. What we might call the sorrow of God. I wonder how often we think about the sorrow of God. We dwell a great deal on our own sorrow, don't we? We stroke and nurse and fluff that sorrow until it looks divine. Have you thought about the sorrow, the profound sorrow, 
and the heart of God. And if you were God, how would you have responded? The only way I, I, I would confirm that that video of the Jenga tower was faked was because the guy who made the tower was very calm. <laughs> if it had been my tower, you would have to put some bleeps in there because, dude, I warned you about that stupid cord. Do you get what I'm saying? If it were up to you to respond to the state of the world, what would that response look like? And can I suggest to you that you don't have to do that much imagining? Because right now, or very recently in your own life, people have offended you, have violated you, betrayed you, grieved you, have broken covenant with you, have done things they had no reasonable justification to do. They can't point to X, Y, Z reason and say, this is why I must act like this. The only explanation is that they are a selfish turd like you and me. They love themselves so much that they wipe the floor with you and your hopes and your feelings just to make themselves feel marginally better. That's the truth, isn't it? That they spread the poison of their pain all over your joy, your happiness, your equilibrium without even a second thought because so great is their pain. You don't have to imagine if you were God what your response would be like because on a regular basis you show yourself and the world around you. (laughs) Get on your knees and thank God that I am not him. Because when I am outraged, when I am hurt, others will hurt too. I will share my pain every chance I get. I will let you know without ceasing that I will not be the only unhappy one on the scene. And yet God, by some miracle, shows us a whole different response. What he says is, I will go to the very people who betrayed me and I will humble myself And I will become like the least of their kind. And I will patiently, over the course of 30 years, experience everything in their shoes. And then having done nothing wrong, I will be torn to pieces as the ultimate expression of their self-righteousness and anger. And by that means, I will repair this damaged place. And I will form a bridge between me and them. It's as if God is teaching us in all our rage and sorrow and anger, we have done nothing to successfully repair those relationships we grieve over. We have raged. We have talked ears off of others. We have sought counseling and therapy of every stripe. And nothing changes. And I think what God is teaching us at Christmas time is that there is really only one hope for broken relationship, and it's the path that he showed us on Christmas Day. It's this beautiful path of humility, of peace, of deep identification, of bridge building. It is his way of saying to us, not a single relationship will be repaired on the earth without the spirit of that first Christmas. And aren't you so thankful that we have a God like this. Aren't you so thankful that our God is not so much like us? 
but that he calls us and invites us to be like him. I I know that this morning, the testimony of many of you would be, I can't really get into this whole Christmas spirit thing right now. I'm just not feeling it this year. I didn't even put lights up in my house. And I get exactly where you're coming from. There have been many years where I looked around and I was sickened by the commercialism of Christmas and annoyed by everyone's, ah, this the season, blah, 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 blah. And I just, wanted, I just want to smack all those people and say, be happy somewhere else. My life doesn't feel so jolly. The only thing I want to deck the halls with are the heads of my enemies, right? Do you ever feel that way? You just, you look around, you go, I don't, nothing's good. Because you look at your life and you think, what has he done for me lately? What do I have to celebrate right now exactly? What's so good in my life that I want to give presents to friends and string up lights only to take them down in a couple months? But most of all, I think a lot of people say, I can't get into the Christmas spirit because I'm knee-deep in shattered relationships. I look around and I see visible reminders of the people I can't be friends with anymore. People who have broken my heart. I can't find forgiveness. I can't find hope. I can't even find faith that things will get better. That's why I can't get into the Christmas spirit. And I hear you, and in no way do I diminish your pain. But I think maybe we got it backwards when we think that way. It's precisely because of those broken relationships that the spirit of Christmas brings joy. See, the joy of Christmas is not found in gift-giving, Bing Crosby Christmas carols and lights. I know that a lot of that is familiar. Don't get me wrong. My brother went to Africa for four years. He said every Christmas he realized just how much he missed the secular part of Christmas. As well as the meaning. The meaning of the real Christ, the real meaning of Christmas is right there for him, and he was enriched by it. But he would just say, I so miss American Christmas snow, lights, trees, all of it. Even though it's shallow, he missed it so much. So I get that. But that's not where the joy of Christmas comes from, ultimately. It comes from the reminder that the one being who had the right to go nuclear went peace. The one being in the universe who had clearly the right to be outraged took a a path of beautiful peace and reconciliation. And it cost him everything. That's the part that gets me. Is that the people being forgiven, it cost them next to nothing. And why is that always the case? That in these broken relationships where we feel we have done so much right and the other person seems so oblivious to their wrongdoing, why is it that the one who has done right consistently is also the one who must cross the room to make peace? I can't explain it to you logically, but I can tell you that our Father in Heaven set a very good example. And so I give you two closing words. The first is this. The real joy of Christmas is knowing that you and I both 
have done enough in this earthly life to not be able to stand before God with confidence. I know you are taken aback by the sins of others, but I want to tell you right now, you and I both could not stand before God today with any kind of confidence apart from what Jesus Christ has done. And so the first word I give you is rejoice that this is true of you. That God will listen to your prayers, will meet you in your pain, will promise you a future, will have a purpose for your life because he has loved you and not the other way around. That's the real joy of Christmas is that each one of us already before he does anything else have received undeserved mercy. The second word I give you is if that means anything to us, know that the invitation of God is to follow his example in your own broken relationships. And it's not lost on me what I've just said. These broken relationships, they're not like somebody cut me off in traffic, I'll forgive you. It's a lot deeper than that, I know. Some of you have fought and hoped and prayed and fasted for decades for these relationships, and nothing has gotten better. In fact, things have only gotten worse. But it will never get better apart from the path of Christ. If we don't learn to take the beautiful path that Jesus took, brokenness will be the story of our whole life. Conflict and pain, alienation will be the story of our whole life. So I challenge you to think about those relationships in your life that stand broken today. Even the ones that have been broken so long, you forgot that you even had them. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a child. An old friend. Maybe it's your sibling. And maybe what God is saying is, do you want to see the power of God? Especially in that relationship. Then take the path that Jesus took. Humble yourself. Go to where they are. Be willing to pay the cost. Have hope and faith in God. And I believe you're going to see the power of God. Dig in. Get ready to fight the long fight just on a human level. And nothing will change in that relationship. We are reconciled to God because God came towards us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's why we string lights up. That's why we give gifts to each other. That's why we song. We sing songs of joy and celebration. And that's why so many smile at this time of year. I'll end by just saying, I think that one of the marks of spiritual maturity is that over time, the true spirit and joy of Christmas and its meaning affects us more deeply with each passing year. So I want to invite you to really be a little more reflective this Christmas season 
And even in the midst of your parties and all of that, try to take a little time aside just to think about why we can have such joy. And I want you to think about that conflict you are nursing and the growing sense of dread and hopelessness you feel about that. And remember, the Son of God came to earth precisely to repair those kinds of relationships. And that there's no conflict beyond the reach of Christ. There's no sadness that's permanent if Christ is alive. I especially want to challenge those who have gotten used to the conflict, have just learned to live with it. It's your new normal. And you have no intention of crossing the room, crossing the street. You think about what it's costing you. You think about what it's costing the people around you. Look to the manger. Look to the cross. And think again about the way you're approaching the conflicts in your life. Have greater faith that what Christ did for us, he can do again and again and again in our lives. I want to invite you to bow with me. I know that part of the difficulty of getting to the Christmas spirit is trying to figure out why a baby born 2,000 years ago, a baby you never asked for, should produce joy in us today. I think one of the ways that Christmas is going to dawn on our hearts in a more profound way is not necessary to look back in time 2,000 years ago to Bethlehem. But look right now at your family and your friends and at the brokenness in your own life and realize that's why God came the way he came. That that same brokenness existed between you and him. And he crossed that gulf. And he intends to do that again and again in your life. That's the real joy of Christmas is the great, great love of God and the hope he brings where we've given up hope. If you have a broken relationship in your life, you just got so used to it being broken, you don't even care. Would you pray that God would awaken the numbness in your heart? If your heart is cold this morning because you've physically been in the church for a long time but you don't really understand the love of Christ accept the invitation this morning that he wants you to know his love you don't have to go through life sitting in this room with an empty heart every Sunday waiting for lunchtime to come that doesn't have to be what church is for you but that there is a savior and he loves you profoundly and he wants to break through the coldness of your heart and show you why it's such a gift to be alive show you just how many dreams he had for you when he put you together in your mother's womb So I want to just give us a chance to respond to Christ in our own way. And then we'll sing some songs. We'll close our service. Let's go to him in prayer.
Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.